0: Hey guys, you're listening to Drunken and Uncultured.
1: We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. And
0: we are, um, back. I was going to say we're back to do something, but we're not back here for um, any special reason. We're back for an episode.
1: We're actually currently recording this under... Quarantine conditions, I guess, technically. Social distancing. Social distancing. Thing. Um... Yes, so obviously some
0: crazy things going on in the world with coronavirus. It's so, corona time. It's corona time. Um, we are socially distancing. I'm self-quarantined to my own apartment. Stephanie is over even though that's not socially distancing. You were
1: at my apartment on Saturday, so yeah, we've been in around each other enough that we're <clears throat> basically breathing the same air all the time. Yeah. Um cool so
0: yes we are quarantined um in the coming weeks it may be difficult to record episodes so we'll see how we tackle that yeah um based on like bars and restaurants closing and that kind of thing yeah so, so we'll as of the day
1: we're recording this bars and restaurants in chicago close for sit down dine in ex- experiences until yeah. the end of march which I honestly think might be extended. So yeah, we'll see, so we'll how, that see goes. Um, how we do future drinking series episodes. Yeah, the drinking we... the drinking series may take a brief hiatus yeah. while everything is literally shut down in the entire state. Yeah, and depending on how like extreme it gets, we may have to figure out more creative ways to record
0: episodes. Yeah. but we'll figure it out as yep. we go. We'll get there. We um, always do. Yeah. So we wanted to keep doing this um, for yeah. those of you that listen, and you know, it's kind of a nice escape to be able to do. For us to record, for whoever is listening, I'm sure, to listen.
1: Yep. Um, So, we'll get into it. So, let's start, since, obviously, we have mentioned we are not going anywhere. Lindsay, what have you been watching? Um, So, my boyfriend, Matt,
0: and I have a list of movies that I've never seen that are apparently crazy that I've never seen them. Well, the
1: fact that you've never seen Caddyshack is pretty (laughs) fucking wild, so... Yeah, so... Um, rather we, than binge watching TV, yeah. you're watching movies on this list. Yeah. We're catching up on movies
0: on this list. Um, we are also on like the side, like I'm also watching, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time.
1: <gasps> I love that show. You've never seen that? No, oh my so God. I've that show's that. so good.
0: Um, so that's something I'm watching. Um, I want to start Westworld since it came out today. Yesterday. Um, or Yesterday. Which, by the time this comes out, there'll be two episodes, I'm sure. Um, So that's something I want to watch Mm. the new season. Um, I need to finish Love is Blind on Netflix. You didn't finish that yet? No, I got tired of it. It was great, but I just got tired of how annoying everyone was. That's fair. Um, I mean, we'll see. I think we should probably check back up in about two weeks when... I am going stir crazy and have cabin fever and have murdered everyone I Maybe we'll have to I do a.
1: Uh, That'd be fun, Like a tiny episode to see where we are in two weeks after yeah. having been basically confined yeah. to our homes for two weeks. Yeah. Um, that would be fun to just yeah. to, like, go
0: over what we've been talking, what we've been watching, and yeah. what we've done.
1: And how many beers are left in my fridge?
0: Yeah, I mean, I basically have none left in my fridge. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you were literally telling me when you guys were going to leave, you're like, oh, we'll just bring the beer that's left in my fridge. And there's I looked in your left. fridge today and there's like none.
0: Yeah, there's none left, which is
1: weird for me because I usually have more beer than food. So let's get into the beer. Steph, what yes. are you drinking? All right. So today we are drinking Firestone Walker's Paw Paw Prince. That's what I'm going to call it. I think that's what it's called. Um, it's like paw with an exponential two. So we're just assuming it's Paw Paw Prince because it's the Paw Paw Fruit. This is a wild ale fermented with pawpaw fruit, um, and it is in French oak barrels. Yeah, that's what it's aged in it the sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. This was the first ever batch they did. This was bottled, actually, on May 23rd of 2018, and there were 500 cases of this made. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, uh, kind of cool. We're drinking a little bit older one. Today, yeah. Um, this actually is six point nine percent. A nice, <laughs> and um, it was matured for six to thirty-six months. Yep. And so this was brewed in collaboration with
0: Binnie's to yeah. celebrate their seventieth anniversary in twenty
1: eighteen. Yep. So yes, that's correct. Um, this beer is utilizing. The pawpaw, which apparently is a Midwestern fruit, and I've never never had it. it. Never heard of it. Um, It's nicknamed for the Hoosier banana, and this fruit has a sweet custard-like aroma of mango, banana, and candelope. We chose a blend of young wild ale and a barrel-aged hybrid beer to help accentuate the pawpaw uniqueness. A vibrant golden straw hue is accentuated by notes of tropical papaya and mango, concluding with a hint of orange blossom honey. We congratulate Binnie's on 70 years and many more to come. Yep. So we um, have opened the bottle already because we did go live on Instagram. Yeah. So before we recorded this, we thought we would go live on Instagram since so many people are hanging out at home. We thought we would give you something to watch, to watch, to interact with. Some entertainment.
0: Sure. Some social media while social distancing. Correct. Um, so let's take
1: a sip and discuss so i actually like this a lot um wild ales can be hit and miss kind of depending on how their how their age how their blend is going what they were aged in um this one to me tastes super fresh and bright yeah so
0: this is um what a year and a half old
1: uh um, May. Almost two years old? Almost two years old,
0: May of 2018. Um, and it holds up really well. It does taste super fresh. Like, yeah. For being almost two years
1: old, it's kind of expected that it would taste kind of stale and there would be, um, a nope. lack of carbonation. Yeah. This is super carbonated. So, I don't know. Firestone Walker, whatever you guys are doing, keep it up. Cause, like, this has held up so well. Shout out to Firestone Walker and Benny's. Neither of you listen to
0: this. Hey. Um, yeah, no, this is really good. And I don't really like sours or wild ales too much. Um, it's not super sour, just kind of, like, puckery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little tart. It's a little dry, but not overly drying. It just kind of, like, is a dry in the sense that, like, your mouth dries out and you want some more of it. Yeah, yep, agreed. Um. That's a good way of putting it. Which, like, it goes really well with the tartness. Yeah. Um, and with the fruit flavors. So, with this beer, you expect to taste, um... Banana, papaya, which Stephanie's never had. Yep. And mango. Um, and and I then definitely, they also
1: said orange blossom honey.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I get, for sure, I, I it's weird, like, banana flavor is not, a, like, a flavor that's really strong in general, but you do get, like, a sense of, like, the artificial banana flavor. Yeah, and so... Not that it's artificially put in there, but it's you more do kind similar of like, to the yeah, banana flavor. You
1: do, like, swirl it around a little bit, like a wine... And yeah. then you kind of get more of that banana flavor. Yeah, I get a lot more of, like, the tropical but, um, papaya mango flavor. So the only, the thing I've realized is the only other beers I can think of that taste like banana are, like, Hefeweizen. Yeah, or, like, um, quad, quadruple. Yeah. like Belgian quads, I think, yeah. tastes like banana. Yeah, so I'm trying to, like put my head in, like, those kind of beers that I've had, and I can't, like, the banana doesn't translate the same to me. The banana is a different flavor, so yeah. those ones, it tastes more like banana bread, in yeah. my opinion. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. It's
0: so, like, Belgian quads taste like banana bread. I, I get what
1: you're saying, but I've never uh, thought about Because they have, like, a way. yeasty flavor yeah, as well. Yeah, it's the Belgian yeast.
0: Um, but this tastes more like banana-flavored things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Instead of, like,
0: flavored like banana. Yeah. So what are your three words?
1: Um, so I'm going to say, and this is actually different than what I had said originally when we went live with this. I'm going to say bright Mm -hmm. is my first word. And I think that's the nature of the tartness and the little bit of carbonation Yep. and like that little bit of sourness. It's a very bright flavor. Um, I definitely pick up on the orange blossom Mm -hmm. flavor that you get towards the the end. The orange blossom honey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish I knew what a pawpaw actually tasted like, so and I could say pawpaw, but Yeah. Um, it's got a little bit of tartness. Mm-hmm. It's really minimal, but I think that's. I don't know. Those are probably my three. Okay. It's also really easy to drink, by the yeah. way.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna say acidic. So these are different than my words that I said when when we went live. But the more I drink it, the more I go get like an acidic flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not like I see that. A bad acidity, but it's like very reminiscent of orange, of yep. uh, like citrus, yep. um, but closer to the acidic profile of that. So acidic. Um, I want to say fresh. Okay. And then I'm gonna say tropical. Nice. All right. Um, cool. So let's get into the episode. Let's do it. Um, this has been a very long time coming. If you listen to our anniversary episode. We talk about the origin of the podcast yep. and how we used to sit down and get drunk and t-
1: this argue was, about. This was a
0: regular topic that came up in our drunken discussions at the bar. Yeah, so we'd argue about Radiohead and which is the best Radiohead head albums, the best songs. Just get drunk and talk about that. So we thought it would be fun to do an oral history of Radiohead. Yeah, so uh, get ready because we're also going to crack open into my last hop
1: slam. During this episode. So about at, at this two point sips of beer. Yeah. About this point in time, we have each had a full twelve ounce beer. We split this bottle. Bottle. It's a uh, sixteen ounce? I think it's a sixteen ounce. Twelve. Twelve ounce. Oh. Well then we've had less beer than I thought. We've had a twelve ounce beer, twelve ounce
0: wild. We're about to crack it open into a hop slam.
1: So we will have had two beers very soon here.
0: So we're about to do a drunk history version. Okay. Uh, buzz history Yeah But still Of uh, Radiohead By the t- time this Hop Slam is done It'll
1: be kind of drug Yeah Um Cool Do you want to start? Sure Okay So We'll go kind of Through a timeline Of Radiohead yeah. If you think that works the best And then we can chat Yeah we need topics yeah, At the end, end. Okay great. Let's do
0: timeline Year by year
1: Okay Or well, not year
0: by year But like Time period Album by album yeah, yeah Which yeah. is b- broken into time periods yes. And then we'll have like a couple discussion questions okay. and um, topics to talk about.
1: Yes. Okay. So. Um, Alright, so Steph, let's kick it off. Okay, so um, I think the most important thing we got to talk about is that the band was formed in 1985. They were formed in... I was like 25 years ago. Oh, man.
0: Yeah. It's also the 25th anniversary of Radiohead. So, um, for background... Is- what 35? <gasps> oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's been 35 years of Radiohead. Wow, I can't
1: Wow. Remember.
0: So, yeah, while it's also the 20th anniversary of the album Kid A.
1: Yeah, oh, that's probably something we should have mentioned as to yeah, part of why we're doing this. this. this why that's,
0: that's why we're doing this. But now you know. We're doing this because it's the 20th anniversary of Kid A. It's also the 35th anniversary of Radiohead as a band this yep. year.
1: Yes. So... <clears throat> They were formed in Abingdon. Is that That's how you say? I would say it. Okay. They were formed in Abingdon, Oxfordshire in 1985. The band consists of Tom York, Johnny Greenwood, Colin Greenwood, Ed O'Brien, and Phil Selway. Um, I also made a note that the other behind-the-scenes member of the band is Nigel Godrick, and he has been with... He joined them as their producer, their sole producer, starting in 1980... 1994... They weren't in nineteen eighty four. Um, so Radiohead has released nine albums and they said their early very, yeah. yeah Early influences are R.E.M. and the Pixies. Very yeah. early. Yeah. So um, the five guys met while attending Abingdon School in Oxfordshire. Um, Tom and Colin are the same were in the same year. Ed and Phil were the year above, and then Johnny was two years below. Oh maybe Johnny. Yeah, Johnny's a baby um originally they were called on a friday and that name came from the day that they could use their rehearsal space at their school's music room and the reason they play the instruments they do is because they just basically let everyone play whatever they wanted to play i actually love that for them at one point johnny greenwood like when they first started did not play guitar like he just kind of did whatever like that's kind of how it worked Um, they were offered a record deal by Island Records, but they they turned it down so that they could go to university. And then in 1991, they signed to EMI Records for a six-album deal, and they were pushed to change their name to Radiohead because of the song Radiohead on the Talking Heads album True Stories, which came out in 1984. So, um, between,
0: the next piece we're going through is between 1992 and 1994. So, the song Creep Arguably their most famous song ever. Unfortunately, but fair. uh, Was released in 1992 ahead of the album Pablo Honey, which came out in 1993. Um, Creep was blacklisted by BBC Radio 1 because it was, quote unquote, too depressing. This was in 92 before the rest of Pablo Honey came out. Um, My note here is Pablo Honey is very bad, but the release of Creep was huge. So much so that Tom York actually hates it. Partially because, one, he doesn't sing that way anymore. They released it to kind of get, like, to gain momentum um, in the 90s as, like, a grungish band because that was what... That was, it was what they were trying the to be during that time. Um, that's all they knew because right. that's what was popular. To get airplay. Um, so they don't like Creep, one, because of the amount of hype around it, two, because they don't really sound like that anymore, and three, like, it... They just had to play it so many times. Yeah, so I've read that it, like, haunts Tom York. Um, and then I also have a note that the song My Iron Lung off of The Benz, which is their next album, was inspired by How Much He Hates Creep, and that song is about basically selling out.
1: Yeah. Um, so moving into the next time period of The Benz, so I have that listed as 94 to 95. Um, so troubled by his new fame, Tom York became disillusioned with being, and I quote, at the sharp end of the sexy, sassy MTV eye candy lifestyle. Can we get
0: be real here for a second? Tom York has never been MTV eye candy. Well, that's what he felt like in the early 90s. You think
1: too highly of yourself, Tom. <laughs> okay. Um, so he felt like he was helping to sell the world. And then that's when the My Iron Lung EP came out. So My Iron, yeah, My Iron Lung was originally right, on that yeah. EP before the Benz. Yeah. And that came out in 94, and that was their big transition into greater musical depth. And that was also their first time working with Nigel Gabrich, who is their, still their producer today. Yep.
0: So they released The bends in March of 1995, and it was their first time as being seen as actually successful in the Britpop scene. Um, it never reached the same level of success as Creep, because... Um, I mean the lack of audience or the the audience that they were still pulling from was the grunge audience and this was obviously a departure, a big from departure grunge.
1: but also because they had released this giant album and everyone kind of was starting to realize who they were there were less people to attract in yeah. and it was so vastly different than what they had done before that obviously it's a bit of a challenge.
0: Yeah. So in 1995 with this is a separate note with the release of Wonderwall Oasis was a top band in 1995. There was a huge open space for like a new band to come in and be huge. Um, and Oasis took that. And unfortunately the bands didn't dethrone Oasis because even though they had like a stadium rock ish vibe
1: in this, um, which is unfortunate. So this actually is around the time where you start like the big Britpop pop arguments around um, Oasis versus Blur. Yeah, is the same time. Yeah. So like Radiohead was kind of on the on outskirts, outskirts yeah. of all of that because at the time, yeah, they were big, but like they weren't fitting in with the no. rest of that scene. And this album, The Benz, honestly, is their is probably their only album I would even call adjacent to Brit pop.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting because this is the first time I really see Radiohead on the outskirts trying to do their own thing yeah, and not really getting recognized for it, which will become like a later theme yeah. and then well, constantly trying to reinvent and yeah. do something different every time.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, the other note we have on here was this was their first giant North American and European tour and they did it in support of REM, who was one of their early influences. Yep. So between
0: 1996 and 1998, they um, this was the OK Computer time period was the first album self-produced with Nigel Goodrich. Um, and it was the first number one UK chart debut. debut sorry, not debut. Uh, it peaked at number 21 in the US charts. They won their first Grammy for Best Alternative Album um, and then
1: were nominated for Album of the Year. So OK Computer was met with critical acclaim and Tom York said, in a quote, that he was amazed that it got the reaction that it did. None of us fucking knew any more whether it was good or bad. What really blew my head off was the fact that people got all the things, all the textures and all the sounds and the atmospheres we were trying to create.
0: Which is kind of crazy to me. Um, One, because yes, OK Computer was met with critical acclaim, but it still didn't do that well. No. Um, They still hadn't hit it as big as they currently are and as big as they later would. So this was still kind of one of the, like, um, outskirt albums off on the side. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it's also kind of crazy to me that, like, at this point it makes sense. Like, that quote makes sense when he says none of us knew if it was good or bad. Because at this point, like, I think the bands is great, and they did as well. But, like, looking back, it didn't fit into the stylistic period that they yeah. were in. Yep. So, obviously, it met? It was met with critical acclaim, but it wasn't widely received.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Um, one other thing that's really important to note at this time, Radiohead became one of the first bands with a website... Which sounds bananas to no, say now. No, that makes sense. Like, when did the internet come out? Like, in the 80s? Yeah. But so they had a website and, and and a devoted online following. And so within a few years of this, they had dozens of fan sites specific to people that wanted to talk about Radiohead. Yeah, so my next note is that... This is before social media, too, which is... Well,
0: social media is, like, a relatively new thing.
1: Well, yeah, but I'm saying, like, thinking about it, for them to have dozens of of different fan sites of people just to sit around and talk about Radiohead, it's crazy.
0: So, because OK Computer um, wasn't so widely received, they actually toured um, or opened for Alanis Morissette in 1996, and that's where they previewed Paranoid
1: Android and Karma Police for the first time. I'm sorry, did you make a note in here that says all anus, Morissette? It's a Kenny reference. I know, but... <laughs> I
0: made a Letter a reference in our notes, yes. Um, the next thing I have is fake plastic trees from the previous album, The Bends, was included on the Clueless soundtrack, um, which is kind of huge, because soundtracks in the 90s were like a
1: big way to find
0: new music.
1: Um, shortly after this, I would have to assume as well, um, Romeo and Juliet came out, exit music for a film. Yeah, Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, so, OK Computer was released on June 16th, 1997, as a side note, and it took a year and a half to record, which, if you compare that to the Beatles, I think it's like three times as, or four times as long as they took yeah. to record Sgt. Pepper's.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. A year and a half to record is a long time. Yeah, it is. Um, one other important thing to note during this time period so, they did their first Glastonbury headlining set in 1997. And then the other note is, in 1998, There is a
0: documentary that was re- recorded called Meeting People is Easy. It wouldn't come out till the year 2000, um, but it follows their world tour for OK Computer and their disillusionment um,
1: of the press. I fucking love OK Computer. We'll come back to that. OK, so our next era is 1999 to 2001, which we are representing as Kid A. Um, so Kid A was released on October 2nd of 2000. And it debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. And this is the first act from the U.K. to have done so since the Spice Girls in 1996. Radiohead actually has attributed this to their type of marketing at the time. An album leak on Napster several months prior to the actual release. And just the general anticipation after OK Computer.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, They didn't release any singles ahead of the album. Beyond the leak. But that was not them, so... So, I have this
0: uh, subtitled as Kid A, or how Radiohead reinvented their sound because they got tired of being a pure alternative band. Um, so, at this point, they realized that they could do alternative music pretty well. And this is the first time that they really wanted to do something different. So, um, with Kid A, they decided to reinvent using keyboards and synth drum programs, and it was a lot of just Tom York by himself recording mm-hmm. things. And if you listen to Pablo Honey versus the Bends versus OK Computer you kind of get the trend of them constantly reinventing who they are every album. Um, so this had kind of a divided release, but ultimately in my opinion from everyone I've ever talked to, Kid A is considered one of their, is one of most people's favorite albums if you like Radiohead. I love Kid A. And according to Rolling Stones, it's one of the most important albums and one of the best albums to come out in the 2000s.
1: I mean, Kid A is an incredible album. Um, in 2001, they actually won Best Alternative Album and were also nominated again for Album of the Year. Um, man, I love Kid A. It's a good album. Um, so they actually released their, another album in June of 2001 called Amnesiac. Yep. And this was pretty much a bunch of additional tracks from what, what has been called the Kid A Sessions. Yeah. And then it also included the song Life in a Glasshouse. Um, this topped the UK album charts. It reached number two in the US, was nominated for a Grammy and for the Mercury Music Prize.
0: Yeah, and I would say the most important thing about Kid A is that this is arguably around the time that Radiohead found their sound. Yeah, no, I wouldn't is how agree. they found what current Radiohead is today during Kid A where it's a little bit more Electronic Um, electronic based. based. It's still alternative, but it's a little bit more experimentally alternative. Yeah. Alternative, electronic.
1: Yep, agreed. So, is this when Tom York started his dancing?
0: (laughs) Um, Yes, it it is when Tom York started his dancing that makes you generally uncomfortable. So, 2002 to 2004, we are referring to as the Hail to the Thief era. Mm-hmm. In this, they wanted to explore the tension between human and machine-generated music. So, again, coming back to the electronic
1: base. So, the lyrics here were gen- gave a sense of ignorance and intolerance and panic and stupidity, according to Tom York. Specifically around the 2000 U.S. election when President Bush was elected.
0: Um, it was released in 2003. And nominated for the Best Alternative Album in 2004, and then Goodrich and engineer Daryl Thorpe won the Best Engineered Album.
1: Um, they headlined Glastonbury again in 2003, and then they headlined Coachella in 2004. And then after this album, they went on a hiatus to spend time with families and work on solo projects. We won't talk a ton about their solo projects. There's been a lot. I don't want to spend a lot of this episode talking a ton about that. Yeah, New York
0: does a lot of weird things. So
1: does Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. And Ed O'Brien has a solo project, yeah. and, like, they all have solo projects. Yeah. They're fucking Radiohead. We know.
0: <laughs> I think around this time, or a little bit before this is when they became fucking Radiohead. Honestly, we'll, we'll discuss more well, like I, mean, I don't mean but... it, like, in a weird way. I just mean, like, they became Radiohead with a capital R. Like, Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. can see me, I'm, like, emphasizing the word Radiohead. They really became Radiohead. And, like, a huge phenomenon and sensation around yeah. this time. A little bit before Hail to the Thief. But in the
1: two thousands, early two thousands. Well, if you think about really, it, the first really, time they headlined Coachella was two thousand and four, right. and so in U.S. terms, like that's how you fucking yes did it.
0: That's when like, they
1: really became Radiohead as we know it today. Yeah, agreed. So, um, start our next section isn't specific to um, the hiatus, really. It, it's more related to the hiatus and some things, some important things that we need to talk about that went on during that time. So, 2004-2009, um, their contract with EMI ended after Hail the Thief, and the New York Times started referring to them as the world's most famous unsigned band. And that's because they refused to sign back to EMI, because EMI would not give the band control of their back catalog. And also, with Kid A, I didn't
0: mention this, but this is, was around the time that they started like throwing up a big fuck you to EMI, mm-hmm. and they started to do whatever they wanted. Yep. They started to really... like a ad- create their own sound. And this is kind of where you see it in Kid a, um, in regards to their relationship with EMI. And
1: then especially Hail to the Thief is even more heavily on the electronics yeah. than Kid a. Yes. But it's actually, I was reading a really interesting thing about this today. So there was a huge, like, slander... Of Radiohead by EMI during this time because EMI offered them like a ridiculous amount of upfront money. Yeah. And the band still said no. Yeah. So. And the EMI said that they wanted more money, but Radiohead was like, no, we want our back catalog. Yeah. We would sign Which for is less money than we're our seeing back catalog. a lot in
0: today's era. Oh, I agree. With a lot of bands and like artists wanting This was their an back early catalog. band wanting control of their back yeah. catalog. Yeah. Um, and then Hail to the Thief was especially about. A big fuck you to mm-hmm. EMI and the name Halo Thief kind of comes from that. Exactly. They're yep. referring to EMI as the thief.
1: Yep. Um, so in two thousand and eight the album In Rainbows was released through the band's website as a pay what you want model, and you could actually get it for zero pounds, but zero dollars. Zero. doll hairs. So this actually, this model was praised and criticized at the same time because while it was a kind of a revolutionary way to attack the music industry, a lot of artists that were less successful felt that it undercutted their efforts as less successful musicians. Yeah, I
0: mean, you can't do that as an unsuccessful artist. Like, you could do this when, like, you have been when you're Radiohead. Yeah, right. You have at, at this
1: time. In 2004 or 2008 when this happened, you couldn't have done And that. I can kind of understand it because it's like a privileged way to say fuck you to the music industry. So some of the people specifically that were called out in the article I was reading were it's like Lily Allen and Kim Petras, uh-huh. who both are not, even today are not that relevant. Right. But like, I don't know. I mean, I would be pretty pissed too if a band I it. took it over. Uh, this album was downloaded 1.2 million times on the release day and then it won
0: the mercury prize in 2009 and grammy award for best album alternative album. Um,
1: so they were nominated for 5 Grammys that year including album of the year. Um so this was Radiohead's second time winning mercury prize? I believe so. Yeah. Radiohead's been winning alternative album for fucking ever. Yeah. So Have they ever actually won best album of the, or album of the year? I think I they've been nominated they a ton, have. but I don't think they've actually won I don't think they have. Um,
0: between 2009 and 2012, with the rise in social media, Radiohead withdrew from the public. Pitchfork wrote that around this time, Radiohead's popularity became increasingly untethered from the typical formalities of record promotion, placing them on the same level as Beyonce and Kanye West, which I think is actually extremely accurate. I think- Radiohead is just solidified in our musical history as this weird alternative band that does whatever the fuck they want. And but they're still buy successful. It and they're still successful and still good. I love Radiohead.
1: Um, so I also made a note that during this time, there was a heavy amount of solo stuff. So this was during the time that Johnny Greenwood was heavily doing film yeah. soundtracks. Tom York did The Eraser. Tom York is doing a solo project at this
0: point. Yeah. Like Tom York. Yeah. Um, Tom York is also doing, pro- pro- like,
1: producing. Yeah. They're, they're all busy. Yeah. They're all still busy. Yeah. Um, the King of Limbs was released February 18th of 2011. So the album that we all forget about. It was another website download. Um, the main note I have here is that a lot of the musical production was looping of recordings with turntables. Yes. Which was a really interesting change in recording style at the time, just in general. Yeah. But uh, King of Limbs is the album that I would argue is the one that we forget about the most.
0: They got their second uh, drummer to play King of Limbs live, and this was Clive Demer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's still with them today because any music that was on King of Limbs, you yeah. can't play with one drummer. So. And they find ways to use him. use him. Yeah, yeah. That sounds really weird, but yeah, that,
0: yeah. I mean that's what it is.
1: Um, this was their first extensive North American tour in a very long time. Um, this is when they had like Yes.
0: Um, Um, And then in
1: 2012, there was this huge event that happened in Toronto that was all over the news. So it was the final concert of the North American tour, and the venue's roof collapsed and killed their drum technician, Scott Johnson, and injured three members of their road crew. So this has been like a thing that people have been talking about, like, as long as I can remember. As long as I can remember
0: as well. Um, And I remember it happening, not really knowing, because I wasn't very into radio at the time.
1: Yeah, I Uh, didn't know enough. I liked Radiohead, but didn't know enough about Radiohead at the time to really be affected by it. And I didn't really understand it until, you know, more recently. But So what happened in result of that is that in June of 2013, Live Nation Canada, two other organizations, and an engineer were charged with 13 charges under Ontario's health and safety laws. And then due to some, like... Delays, delays, and, but there was something I don't know the name of, like the law within Ontario, but you could only have a case active for so many years, yeah. and so this the charges got dropped in September of twenty seventeen, um, and then in twenty nineteen there was a request to return
0: or inquest returned the verdict of accidental death regarding this.
1: Yep. Yeah. So um, I actually remember in. 2019 specifically, it was all over their social media where they talked about, you know, Scott Johnson and his family. Yep. Um, So, in big events in 2012-2014, these were big solo project years, but during this time, Warner Music Group purchased Radiohead's back catalog through several agreements. um, Several lawsuits. Well, so what happened is that EMI was selling off different divisions and one of those divisions owned Radiohead's catalogs. Then Mm -hmm. Warner Music Group purchased that division and there were some agreements and some lawsuits, even some initiated by the band. Um, Eventually, the back catalog got transferred to XL Recordings, who was in charge of the retail releases of In Rainbows and King of Limbs.
0: Um, And then in the latter, the very end of this, Timeline between 2014 and now, um, Radiohead released, uh, or not released, but recorded a song for the James Bond film Spectre. It's on Spotify if you ever want to hear it. It was released on SoundCloud on Christmas Day in 2015. It was like commissioned to be the flagship yeah. song of so, that, al- mean, of that all, movie. So, I mean, we
1: all, most people are well aware James Bond movies have like a song.
0: Yeah, and that's like the flagship
1: and, song that was released. On the radio, it's the head of the movie. The head they, of the movie, yeah. Like it's other the James famous Bond ones song. were like *Live and Let Die*, uh, Adele's Adele *Skyfall*. Yeah. There was a couple of. There was a Jack White one that was big. Yep. Madonna did one, so they commissioned Radio had to do the song Spectre, which actually is a lovely song. Yes, um, but it was deemed just too dark for the movie, and so they went with *Writing on the Walls* by Sam Smith. Which, but also great song if you Love know the reason or the background
0: for what was what tom york was going through at this point you understand why it was so dark yeah so to lead into that moonshake pool which is their most recent release was released in may 2016 leading into that tom york was left by his partner 20 years mm-hmm. who he has two children with yeah um at that point he she left and then later died of cancer Um, but she left him because she was dying and wanted him to be happy and didn't want him to go through that. And so he was dealing with the breakup and then later dealing with the death of like the woman that he loved the most. Yeah. Um, who he wrote the very popular song, True Love Waits. Well, True Love Waits was on... So getting into this, True Love Waits is, was on a moonshaped pool but they had been playing that since 1995.
1: That's what I thought. Okay, I was gonna say it yeah. wasn't on one of their albums. No, so they but had they've been playing, been playing it for they years. They've been playing that
0: since 1995, and in a very different version. And they, they never recorded it because they could never set on a way to record it, mm-hmm. and it never sounded right to them. It only sounded good live. Mm-hmm. Um, so on a moonshaped shaped pool, when he like went through this devastating hit in his life, and like mm-hmm. Tommy Ork is just a very general sad boy, but he this is like extra sad. And he, he should be sad, sad, and he should be sad. He realized that the song, in order to record it and like the way he truly feels, he slowed it down, made it less electronic, mm-hmm. and recorded it on a moonshade pool. So once you realize like that's what he was going through at the time, you kind of understand why the Spectre song was so yeah. dark. Yep. Um, but a moon pool was released in May
1: 2016. It reached number three in the U.S. and number one in the U.K. It was nominated for the best alternative album, best rock song for "Burn the Witch," and then. Um, the The mercury prize Prize. so this actually was really interesting so radiohead is considered one to be one of the most highly like decorated bands Yep. but But because they they have so many nominations that's why they're considered that like they have been nominated for grammys and the mercury prize so many times
0: Yep. and moonshade pool was the first release that we'd gotten from them in five years yeah um and it's a Kind of an obvious departure from everything else, where it's like a little
1: bit less electronic and a lot more raw and emotional. Yeah, Moonshape Pool is a very emotional album. I remember um, the day that Moonshape Pool came out, like shit. I was sad
0: in my in my office. I remember working. like listening to it and not really understanding why it was so sad. And my boyfriend at the time kind of explained to me what he like the news that she had mm-hmm. died. Um, yeah, and, like she had left him and died on her own. Yeah. Um and that's why it was so sad because he was dealing with that. Yeah. And, I mean it's a very emotional, very heavy
1: album, but I, I yeah, enjoy it. It's an it a incredible lot. album.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I do need to like as we transition into discussion topics at this point, one thing I really want to like talk about is this Mercury Prize. Okay, so they've now just called the Mercury Prize, but it's always been called the Mercury Music Prize. It's only related to bands that are from the UK and Ireland, and it's an annual award for, like, the best album or act that's British or Irish, essentially. Um, So trying to, like, think of, like, other big, big ones, um, the people that have won is, I think the most relevant is within the last year. Like, you and I were keeping up with what was going on. Idols Fontaine's DC, mm-hmm. and like those kind of guys were so nominated, a lot of the bands, yeah. yeah, like slow Tie got nominated then Dave, who is an English rapper, ended up yeah. winning. but so like last year was a big deal like the XX has won, Arctic Monkeys have won, Sh- Last Shadow puppets has won. Tom York has had six nominations between Radiohead, the Eraser, but he has never won a single Mercury prize. Wow. He has the most nominations. The only person that's documented to have won two is PJ Harvey, because for her solo stuff, twice. And then Alex Turner has gotten five nominations between Last Shadow Puppets and Arctic Monkeys. So the last thing I want to discuss
0: before we get into the discussion topics is that in 2018, Tom York um, scored the film Suspiria.
1: Mm-hmm. The remake. Um,
0: the remake. And so Suspiria was originally scored by the band The Goblins. Um, and it was considered... It is considered to be one of the greatest movie soundtracks of all time. I don't disagree. Um, and this is Tommy York's first time ever scoring a film. So there's obviously like a huge amount of pressure there. And um, when the director... Luca Guadagn- Guadagnio, I'm not saying that right... Uh, who did Calling by Your Name wanted him, wanted Tommy York. That was his first choice. Oh, I don't um, think I knew this. Yeah, so Tommy York is one of his favorite artists. Um, I wanted be him specifically. Uh, so the director pleaded with uh, Tommy York to do it, and eventually he agreed. Um, but it's cra- kind of crazy that they had to live up to the Goblins. Um, yeah. Original soundtrack. But, I mean, man, that Spurious soundtrack in 2018 is so good. Well, there's a quote from him that says, initially I was intimidated about the fact that it doesn't matter what I do and that people are probably going to react badly to it because it's not the original. But, at the same time, the more it carried on, the more I'm like, well, they're not hung up on that, so I'm not going to be hung up on that. Um, so that's
1: that was kind of a huge accomplishment for him. I mean, thinking of just like... I know it's kind of off the discussion topic we were on. Like, Johnny Greenwood has done so much film scoring for, like, Paul Thomas Anderson over the years. Yep. And, like, that's what he's super well known for. And he's yeah. been nominated for fucking Oscars. And he wasn't really well known for Never Aging. That too. He, why? Okay. We'll, we'll add this into our Radiohead discussion topics.
0: Yeah. Let's let's add that later. Um, but we can go into the topics now. Yeah. So, first one is, what is your first radio experience? Um, Song. Oh, the song is hard. I I can tell you what I can remember. I mean, if you, like, not including
1: Creep, but, like, the first memorable Radiohead
0: experience.
1: experience, Yeah. So, my first, like, experience experience that I can remember, and I had definitely heard Radiohead before this, but the first time it, like, sticks in my head was I actually and... Some people that have listened to this know I was a dancer growing up. We danced to Idiotech. Nice. I was maybe... 12? 13? Around there?
0: So, my first memory of Radiohead, but this is not... Like, obviously I'd heard of them before, but this is not even the one I want to talk about. Um, When Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire... Before Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire came out, um, one of my cousins was like, Right Head's gonna be in that, and the Weird Sisters band and the ball. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was a different Goblet band. of Fire. Uh, has Johnny Greenwood in it?
1: Oh, I think I thought it was a different like band that was the one that was playing. No,
0: um, Johnny Greenwood is in it. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's what he was talking. About. So it's Phil uh, Selway. Oh. Um, but my like actual first memory of radio, like, my most memorable memory of Radiohead was in college. One of my friends um, used to get drunk and play Black Star off of the Benz, and um, like light a cigarette, and, like forget yeah. about it, and like another cigarette, and forget about it, and just like let it burn out, and like just continually play Black Star on mm-hmm. repeat,
1: and that's um, how I got into them. I mean, I think that's one really interesting thing is because. Obviously, we both grew up listening to Creep. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't escape it. Yeah, creep. But we both had very different experiences with different albums yeah. as to what really got us into Radiohead. Yeah. Like I started listening to Radiohead as soon as my like dance instructor like told me what song that was. i was yeah. like, I gotta go listen to this band. This yeah. is super weird. I started I'm listening to Radiohead to pretty
0: much as soon as I like heard Blackstar for yeah. the first time. Um, your first experience live. All well, Palooza 2016. All of Palooza 2016 for me as well. Um, Dude, I cried. That was so good. But, since we're talking about performances, what was your favorite time seeing them? Oh, that's really hard. So I've actually only seen Radiohead twice. I have also seen them twice at the same shows that you have. Yes. Um,
1: so, I don't know. I think I'd honestly say their United Center set Because they played my favorite song. Which is? Weird Fishes.
0: Um, I would also say that time that we saw them at the United Center... One, because I was drunk off my ass. That's really <laughs> it funny because that's probably fun. the
1: only show I've ever been to with you where I did not drink no, a I kept... sip of alcohol. Uh-uh. Or no, I had you some of your what? Stella.
0: No, yes. you uh, have Ballast my... Point IPA. No, you had my Green Line. Oh, I thought I had the Ballast Point. You had my Green Line because uh, uh-huh. I went to go get a beer and then I guess my ex went to go get a beer and he got me a Stella and I was like, fuck, I have two beers. So I gave you my Green Line. That's and then fair. I drank that's, that's
1: right. I remember that now.
0: Um, that was my favorite one as well because they played 15 step.
1: They did play 15 Step! Oh man, that and set then, was I remember so like, good. looking at
0: you and being like, I wonder if they're going to play Burn the Witches at some point. They
1: and They opened their encore with Burn the Witches. And witch. then I looked
0: at you and I was like, Burn the Witch!
1: That set list was incredible. That they was a played great set list. Weird Vicious, they played Idiotech, they played. They played Planet Telex. Oh, they did. Yeah. Shit. It was a great set. That. So, I mean, I've only got to see them, obviously, the two times. It's like my comparison is an outdoor festival setting and an indoor their stadium own stadium tour. Stadium tour. I mean, their own show. My my typical preference is like I prefer the indoor, indoor show yeah. version of a concert, um, unless the set list is just. Really I generally real good. prefer indoor indoor
0: sets of a band on their own tour. Yeah, even I do like too. festival. After shows or festival sponsored shows. Or it's, like, their own show. Yeah. I I still prefer fans being on their own tour because they get to play whatever they want. They have a longer time, typically.
1: Yeah, you have more time, you have more control of what you're doing. And Even, like, festival festival after shows, because it's their own fans. Agreed. I think that's my big thing. um,
0: I like when they put on their own shows because they get a lot more say and they can create. No, I agree. environment and this performance that is 100% tailored to what they want. And Radiohead's a kind of band that you want to see in a 100% situation where they're tailoring it to what they want it to be tailored to. I because agree. Radiohead is an experience at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I watched a video on Tom York like, having written a song that is, like, has weird syncope, syncopation because, like, he wanted to do something weird. Mm-hmm. And I watched a video of him, like, unable to line it up. Because it has this weird syncopation, um, which syncopation is, like, when a beat hits on the opposite of when, like, you expect it to hit. Yeah. You're
1: uh, hitting on so, like, the offbeat.
0: Yeah, right. Um, and he had to, like, ask... Who's the drummer? Phil? He had to ask Phil to, like, play him a beat so he can line it up at this festival on an outdoor setting. And um, Radiohead's the kind of band that you want to see when they, like, are performing a tailored set list and have practiced it because of things like that. Where, like, but there the are nuances th- that you don't know that they put into performances.
1: Right, but the other thing that's really interesting is no Radiohead set list is the same. Agreed. Yeah. Which, I think that's one of the things that I find the most entertaining Yeah, I mean, they don't them. typically play Burn the Witch. They they, 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 they didn't don't play, play it King. when we saw them, but on that tour, a few stops, they played Creep. Yeah, they're, um, they, pick, they have such an expansive... Um, Discography. Discography. And, and the mem- Because the members have been the same for yeah. so long. You don't see that as often. No. The- and, like, you can tell that they, like, trust
0: each other. So, like, yeah. Tom York will go off set list, and you know that he's going off set list. But because the other guys have been playing with him for 35 years at this point. Yeah. They can, like, jump in and immediately know yeah, where they he's know going. Where- and there's this level of trust that is, like, so, in- like, integral
1: yeah. to a Radiohead performance. Yeah. That, like, really beats anything I've ever seen. Um. Shit, and also I would argue that Johnny Greenwood's one of the greatest musicians I've ever experienced yes. seeing live. Well, in like my when we saw him at, right
0: at um, United Center, Johnny Greenwood was opening for himself with that. <laughs> he opened band. for himself with his Indian band. Yeah, and it was just kind of wild. But yeah, Johnny Greenwood. Honestly, the thing with Radiohead is that they're musicians for the art of it.
1: Yeah, and, and like all of their solo projects are incredible. Right.
0: So they're musicians, not even just to make money. They're they're musicians for the art of it. And they treat treat it like a true art form, Um, and you can. That's very evident. Everything that they release individually
1: and together. So actually, if uh, coronavirus slows down, if coronavirus slows down, Ed O'Brien's playing Chicago. I think I'm going to go because he's part of Radiohead, and I want to go. Uh, Tom York is
0: on a solo tour. I owe my boyfriend Matt Radiohead tickets next time they come around. Yeah. Um. I want to talk about how there's a subreddit called Radiohead Circle Jerk, and uh, I sent this to you once, and it was, like,
1: somebody talking about Tom York's, like, let me see if I can find it. While you're looking for that, I think this is an important, like, thing to talk about. Radiohead, the fact that they have, like, a Radiohead Circle Jerk, like, people really love Radiohead. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we qualify as some of those people, but... The response that these guys as a band have received over the years is complete insanity. From starting with being at like top of the radio to like f- coming on, you know, internet fan base to continuing to be some of the biggest musicians of all time. Like it's just crazy to think about the fact that like it, they're like they common met in like high school. Yeah. And then, like, are some of the most successful rock musicians of all time.
0: Um, So on the Radiohead subreddit, this was post, or, yeah, I think it's the Radiohead subreddit. I don't have context to this thing I sent you. But this is a Reddit post, and it says, about Tom York, His mind is like a giant bowl. The center of it has some symbology scribbled in, and the curved surface radiates musical ideas. These musical ideas collide with each other, and the impact of their collision causes the symbology in the center of the bowl to shake. When the symbology gets sufficiently shaken, it slides to the curved surface of the bowl and begins going round and round until its momentum causes the entire bowl to wobble. After the spinning symbology attains a critical momentum, the bowl comes off its axis and topples over. When that happens, subconscious musical impressions make the voyage to his conscious awareness. And then the next post is, excuse me, what? (laughs) And then it was linked to Radiohead's Circle Jerk. Which is like, people truly believe that about Tom. Oh, I know. And it's wild.
1: Well, it's it's one of those crazy things where it's, uh, there's a ton of shit on like the Pitchfork Facebook page where if you look at anything on Pitchfork and it's something totally unrelated and someone's be like, okay, but where's the Radiohead? Like, yeah, it's because Radiohead has been talked about by these music magazines and these music sources for so long. So long. Yeah, I mean, they're like, can like widely
0: regarded to be like musical geniuses up there with like Mozart and like yeah. Beethoven style. Yeah. Like that's how like wild and insane they are.
1: Yeah, it's because they radio has literally changed the game.
0: For yeah, and they continue do musicians. it. They and as I mentioned previously, they are always reinventing themselves and on the outskirts. But at this point, because they're on the outskirts, they're now like at the forefront.
1: Yeah, it's insanity. Um, And that
0: is going to bring us to our final discussion question, um, which is the topic that we always argue about at bars when drunk, and this is the reason that this podcast
1: exists. What What is is your favorite Radiohead? It's not even what is your favorite. It's what is the best Radiohead album. Um, And I have in
0: parentheses in our notes, this will be an argument. Um, I mean, I know yours, I know mine, I'm never let's, going to agree with
1: you. Yeah, let's go through ours as they are. And let's go through why. Yeah, okay,
0: okay. Um, so mine is The Benz, which was their second album. Give me your top three and then... Top three albums? Or do you want to go... To no, class? I don't want to name them all. Yeah. Um, it's The Benz, OK Computer Kid A. Okay. Um, The Benz is my favorite and I'm only gonna talk about why the Benz is my favorite because it's super nostalgic, and it was the first one I'd ever listened to. And it was a huge part of my like college era, um and really like young Lindsay discovering music. And it was kind of like what really got me into like what I'm into now, um
1: and kind of defines like that era of my life. So you're saying. So that I understand more of this, because I still feel like I don't understand why. So the bands is I think is the best because of like more of a nostalgic factor. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, if I were to like remove that from the equation, I'd probably say OK Computer. Okay, but that does have like a factor for me at least, like mm-hmm. that nostalgic factor. is I think a that's huge fair thing for
1: me. That's fair. So my top three are OK Computer, Kid A, and then In Rainbows. Which I think is generally the three, like, most picked
0: favorites. Um, not necessarily in that order, because it's usually, what, like, Kid, Kid a, a, In Rainbows, and
1: then Okay Computer. I I don't know that I've seen a lot of people that are, like, really into In Rainbows, but like, man, I am fucking into In Rainbows. Yeah. And we've had a lot of arguments about this while very drunk at
0: Emporium. Um, usually at Emporium, yeah. Usually at Emporium. Um, I get the
1: love for OK Computer and Kid A. Um, I just, like, I don't know. I think now that I understand that a lot of your thing about the bends is more, the like, Salva a nostalgia driven. thing. Because if I was going purely on nostalgia, I'd be saying In Rainbows. Yeah. I mean,
0: Idiotech is one of my favorite songs.
1: Yeah, but that's on Kid A.
0: Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, my
1: favorite song is not even... We talked about this too. So, so you're saying that your favorite song by Radiohead is not on your favorite album? Correct. I would have the same argument. Yeah. My favorite Radiohead song is "Weird Fishes" off of "In Rainbows." Hmm. But like holistically, to me,
0: like the Benz is such a sad album. It really is. Um, I just, I mean, it's so sad, but also so stadiumy at the same time. That I like, I can't help but love it.
1: Yeah, I am realizing that I like the bends a lot more than I thought I did. Going through like listening in preparation for this, yeah. like I was just laying around today listening to the Rain. bends is a good album. It's a good album. There's yeah. they're they're all heaters. Um, Where does a moon shaped pool fall on your list? Four. Moonshade pool for me is five. My so number four is Hailed to the Thief.
0: So my order of top five Have you
1: heard Lotus Flower? Fuck me so up. So my man. order of
0: top five is The Benz,
1: Okay Computer, Kid A, uh Moonshape Pool, and then Hail to the Thief. Yeah, so I'm Okay Computer, Kid A, in Rainbows, Hailed the Thief, and then a Moonshade Pool. Yeah. I just I don't know and then Rainbow's did I name five? You said I only named the, the Best
0: Kid A, OK Computer, OK Computer, then Kid A, then "Hail to the Thief," and then Rainbow's.
1: No, you said uh, "Moonshaped Pool", Moon and, pool then
0: and then, then "Hail to the, the thief. thief." Yeah, I didn't name five. Okay, sorry. Um, I mean, I do love a Moonshaped Pool. I really do. Um, it's a good album. I mean, I love Sad Tom York because that is Tom York. Tom I mean, York that York is, is Tom York person. Society. I like how
1: we can both agree that Pablo Honey does not make top Nobody life. likes Pablo
0: Honey. That's like my la- least favorite album. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's not It's bad. not good. It's just not Radiohead to It's me. actually one of my favorite um, conversations to have with people that like Radiohead. Because I think it, it doesn't really tell a lot, but like people's explanations of what their favorite Radiohead album is, is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's really interesting
1: what... Like, the way people justify what their favorite is. So, I mean, and like, it's very telling. For OK Computer, I just think it's the most unique listening experience I think I've ever had listening to an album start to finish. I
0: mean, I agree with that. And like, I've having, had a
1: lot of, you know, I'm big into, like, full albums start to finish, yeah. like, feeling and something. It's OK Computer is so
0: incredible. It's especially interesting knowing the history behind it and knowing that, like, that's one of the first times that they really mixed Mm-hmm. Alternative and electronic. Yeah. And like became who they are. Yeah. Um, and as a Radiohead fan in general, it's really interesting
1: to know that. Yeah. I, uh, oh man, I love that computer. For Kid A as my like second choice though, I mean, again, it's another really unique album listening experience, but I think the reason that Kid A makes it there is because I listened to it so heavily as like a late teen. Yeah that that's what sticks in my head the most I think that's reasonable though but then like In Rainbows came out when I was in high school too and that's probably the album I think I've listened to the most
0: yeah I mean The Benz is obviously what I've yeah. listened to the most like that's the album I go back to if I'm gonna listen to Radiohead it's The
1: Benz for me I mean now it's Okay Computer cause I mean I, we got that on vinyl, yeah. so I listen to that a lot for me it's The Benz and then A Moonshaped Pool actually yeah. So the
0: the two sad albums are the ones I listen to.
1: That checks out. Yeah, the albums I listen to the most are uh okay Computer and then if yeah. I'm listening on like Spotify or something, I'm probably listening to In Rainbows because I have Okie okay Computer on vinyl. Yeah. So I'll just play it that way. Yeah.
0: Um, well I think on that note, that ends the bass episode. You would have sad albums
1: as your favorites, you nerd. <laughs>
0: I think that ends the base episode. Um, listen to the song for final thoughts. At this point, we do not know what they will be, but we will figure it out in the next couple minutes.
1: Alright guys, welcome back to Final Thoughts. Uh, thanks for listening for 30 seconds. And it's not even like 30 seconds, it's like 15 seconds. Well, that's about how long it took us to come up with this discussion it point. Is. So, while preparing for this episode, Stephanie
0: and I were doing research on the history of Radiohead, and something very interesting happened during the day.
1: Yeah, so at about 2.05 p.m. Central Time today, I got and an email. About like three or three ish hours after we started yeah. researching. Uh, I got an email from uh, the indie blog called Indie Mixtape. Literally, the subject of this email was. Let's argue about the best Radiohead songs. Which is what we do. Constantly. Yes. Right. And so they were specifically doing this in relation to the 20th anniversary of Kid A. And um, the person that runs this blog wrote the book, This Isn't Happening, Radiohead's Kid A and the Beginning of the 21st Century, which is coming out this upcoming September. And... This September also marks the 25th anniversary of the Benz, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, have they all got the Benz? Am I really no, seeing no, no. it That was last Friday. Why did we not open with the fact that we... Sh- we didn't realize it until just now. Yeah, so we should... Even sh- though we I sh- mentioned the date earlier. We should have celebrated this episode for the 25th anniversary of the Benz, but we are too focused on the 20th of Kid A yeah. <laughs> this October. Yep. I mean, this was mainly like a... A plug for this guy's book. that's upcoming, but I mostly thought it was really entertaining that it was just called Let's Argue About the Best Radiohead Songs. No, let's be
0: honest. The most entertaining part was that it came out on, like, today, on the day that we're recording, and as we're doing research, because your FBI agent is watching your internet history.
1: Yeah, but on that discussion point, so you've said your favorite Radiohead song... Is Idiotech. Is Idiotech. Because I'm give me, Tom York and I'm Tom <laughs> is York. Is that why it's your favorite? No, I just think it's funny. But, so, we didn't actually talk about this during the main episode. What are your top five favorite Radiohead songs? Um, give me one second to think about that.
0: So, I mean, number one is Idiotech. Number two is Just off of um, The bends. Number three is Exit Music for a Film off of *Okay Computer. I love that song.
1: I mean, I do too, but I just wasn't expecting to be in your top five.
0: Number four is True Love Waits off of A Moonshaped Pool. And number five is
1: Lotus Flower off of King of Limbs. So that one also makes my top five. So my favorites are Weird Fishes off of In Rainbows, Paranoid Android off of OK Computer, um, and then I would probably say 15 Step off of In Rainbows. Oh, I didn't think about that one. And then I'm going to say...
0: I'm going to put 15 Step actually instead of Exit
1: Movie for a film. So 15 Step's number three? Yes. Okay, 15 Step's number three for me. So I said... Weird Fishes, um, Paranoid Android, 15 Step, and then I'm going to say Idiotech, and then I'm going to say Lotus Flowers. So we have three of the same ones. Yeah. I mean, we have two of the same top three
0: albums. Yeah. Um, that's kind of hard, though. Because Pyramid
1: Song, also a good song. Mm, Pyramid Song's good. Um, they I, played that, are I showed me we one, too. Yes, they did. I also really like Body Snatchers. Ooh. I think Body Snatchers, I might put in my top five instead of 15 Step. That's fair. I love Body Snatchers. I listen to that when I run. It's a great song. All right. Well, um, I think that ends it. This is a uh, reminder that your FBI agent is always listening. Always listening, always watching. You know who else is always listening and watching? The birds. The birds. The birds work for the bourgeoisie. <laughs> Um, thank you guys
0: for listening. Listen through the song for our social media plugs. And as always, don't forget to rate us, leave us a review, comment, um, follow our social media, say hi, talk
1: to us. If you leave us a review, which no one has, we will read it on this episode. And I would like to point out that we've been saying this for a year.
0: Over a year at this point. And
1: no one leaves us a review. We will literally read anything you leave us as a review, but y'all still don't. Yeah. Leave I mean, us a review. review. There's enough of you listening that you should be leaving us
0: reviews. Or like talking to us. Come on now. Please. But like,
1: please.
0: All right. After that, no, it was Stephanie begging. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: All right. That
0: was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if you want to contact us, You can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com.
1: We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is drunkanduncultured. And our Twitter is drunkuncultured.
0: No and. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter,
1: Instagram, and untapped at Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on untapped, Instagram, Twitter and Tumblr as underscore Stefan Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at shitty concert blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.